Hey, you're listening to the Quarry Podcast. Get ready to be encouraged and uplifted with us today. I'm glad to see you guys tonight. I am really enjoying the cozy winter vibes of this room personally. So I love to be back here with you guys. Thank you, Shelbert. I do want to remind you guys, we have some events coming up. Now, one of these might require some prayer. Are you guys okay with that? Paoli Peaks has actually been closed a lot this season because it's not been cold enough to have snow on the slopes. So if we want to go skiing, we need it to be cold, okay? This means a lot coming from me. I hate the cold every day of my life. But I want to go skiing with you guys. I have an amazing ski suit to wear that day, too. Not that you should come for that, but let me just tell you, it's flashy. It's bright, and you will not miss me. When I fall down, you'll know exactly where I'm at because I'm going to be unmistakable. So come skiing with us. It's going to be February 4th. That is a Saturday. I believe it's going to cost $65, but I'm trying to get a hold of them to see if we can make it a little cheaper. So bring $65 just in case, but I'm trying to get you guys a deal. And we need your parents to fill out a waiver for that if you're under 18. So they need to sign your life away for this event. They can easily do that on our website with this QR code. So if you need one of these, just get it from me after the service. On the other side is the registration information for Love is Red, which we don't need it to be cold for. I would actually prefer to not have a blizzard that weekend, but I'll take whatever I can get just to go to the conference. So it'll be so much fun. If you do plan to go to Love is Red, the down payment is due this Sunday, okay? So make sure your parents, your grandparents, Santa Claus knows they need to see me this Sunday and give me $81 if you want to come with us to Love is Red. So please come. It'll be a great time. And I'm not the one who farts in the van. So if you want to ride with me, you're invited to. I'm a safe car rider and I'm looking forward to that event. I actually love the road trips with you guys. I feel like one of the highlights of my life is sharing music with people and playlists. But let me just tell you, something about Love is Red, all my music goes over like like a lead balloon, pretty much. (laughs) You guys are not into anything that I liked when I was your age whatsoever, and that is totally fine. So maybe we can flip it this year. Instead of me trying to show you guys songs, you guys can show me songs. I had this little situation at work. I'm in charge of the work playlist. I take it really seriously, but it has to be 100% clean, which is really hard. There's a lot of songs we know and love that you actually shouldn't play in a workplace. So it's hard. And I added like 15 new songs today from this playlist called Music for Teens. It had Jenna Ortega on the cover and her little like Wednesday dance scene outfit. So I was like, okay, this will probably be cool. Guys, I don't know if you're listening to it or not. I had to take off at least eight of the songs, not because they were inappropriate, but just because I was like, I cannot listen to this all day. No way. So anyways, I need you guys to show me the good music. I think Spotify missed it on that playlist. And together, going to Love is Red, I'm going to give you the aux chord, so to speak, and you can teach me your favorite songs. Actually, that is how I learned about the Fast and Furious songs from Teagues a long time ago. You guys know the one I'm talking about? Fast and Furious. Whip, whip, whip. Either I'm not doing a good version of it, or you guys have never heard that song. Do you guys know what I'm talking about? (laughs) I never had heard that song in my entire life until Teagues was in my life group. And so I'm grateful for her influence in that way. But I want to talk to you guys tonight, all jokes aside, about something that's going to sound simple, but something that I feel really strong about right now, and something that really changed my life for the better, okay? Hugely. This message is just called Love One Another. I'm going to jump right into it. John 3.35, it says this. Your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. Your love for one another will prove to the world that you're my disciples. And I would like to ask, what are we proving to the world with our actions and our words? 
If you have a pair of eyeballs and a set of ears, you might feel like me <laughs> right now, which is to say, I think the world is proving, or excuse me, the church is proving to the world um, that they can be very loud, they can be very combative, they can be very opinionated, they can be quick to insult people on Facebook, they can be quick to gang up on people and say really rude things on social media, um, they can be judgmental in a church setting, they can be a lot of things, but most of the things I think that we're proving to the world are not good things. Not good things. It says, your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. I would like to ask, are we proving that we're followers of Jesus? What are my actions and my words saying every day? What do those prove to my coworkers? What do those prove to my family? What do those prove to your guys? What on earth am I proving to the world? Is it that I'm a disciple of Jesus? Because I feel like for most people it's not, Right? If we look at the church as a whole, I'm not saying you, right? I'm just saying all the people you know. If we look at them, what are they proving to the world? Really? When you see those comments on Facebook, what are we really proving? When you see people uh, on the news, like what are they really proving? When you see this and that and the other, what are people proving? What are the books being written proving? What are the podcasts proving? What is it all proving? If you look up anything that says Christian, it's normally nothing that's impressive, right? I'm really bothered by that. And I want to talk to you guys tonight like you're grown. Is that okay? I'm going to speak to you really straight because I feel very strongly about this. And the reason why is that because I'm just, <laughs> can you tell my words are jumbled up? I need, help me focus Holy Spirit. The reason why is that because is what I said. The reason that I feel so strongly about this right now is because I'm just shaken by the thought that these there are just petty offenses that are, number one, robbing Christians of their calling. They're robbing things from your life. And number two, they're robbing the church of its influence. Those things are monumental. It is huge to think that some stupid little strife situation is keeping you out of your calling. But you know what? It was me. I've been there before where I wasn't a good leader, and it's because I wasn't good at forgiving. It's because I wasn't good at walking in love. I was missing out on my calling just because of wrong attitudes and offenses. But on a larger scale, how will the church ever have the influence that God actually gave it when we're all nasty people who say nasty things about each other? I am not trying to go hard on you for any other reason than I love you. I do not want you to give up your calling over something stupid because some girl said something that hurt your feelings. I'm tired of hearing, well, this person's not talking to that person. I'm saying, why? Why? I'm not bragging. I'll tell you how I got to the place I got. But let it never be said of me again, oh, Morgan doesn't like that person. Morgan won't talk to that person. Oh, yeah, Morgan doesn't get along with that person. How dumb of me. There is so much at stake that I am laying down just to hold on to a bad attitude because I don't think I was treated the way I should have been. Who said I should have been treated that good anyway? Probably my attitude sucked. But second of all, who do I think I am to say, well, fine, okay, I'm not going to talk to you. Give me a break, you know, and I'm tired of hearing about this in our churches, not because I have a bad attitude towards these people, but because it's robbing things from their life. It is taking the calling of God and setting it in a place that's out of reach because you can't hold on to that when you're holding on to like a fence and just silly stuff and bad 
attitudes. And I'm tired of hearing this stuff week to week. I'm tired of seeing it in our church. I'm tired of seeing it on Facebook. I'm tired of seeing it in the global church. All of the above. When Jesus said, your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. Our petty offenses and our hurt feelings are costing us our calling, and they are robbing the church of its influence. And so tonight, I want you to turn completely inward and think about yourself. That's what I'm doing when I'm looking at all this, searching my heart to say, God, is there any place that I'm holding on to this stuff? Because I don't want anything to stand between me and my calling. It's not worth it. I don't want to be robbing this church of any of the influence it's called to have because it's not worth it. It's not worth it. And I want to remind us tonight that love is a choice, not a feeling. When we talk about walking in love, loving one another, that is 100% a choice. And the world tries to distort that and turn love into a feeling or love into an emotion. But love is really just a choice. It is me choosing to say, I'm going to act this way and I'm going to talk this way and I'm not going to act this way and I'm not going to talk that way. Period. That's what it means. Just the same way that I wake up every day and hold to my code of morals that says I'm not going to rob a bank. I'm not going to shoot a human. I'm not going to hit someone with my car. I'm not going to steal someone's dog. I'm not going to, you know, try to rob Meyer or whatever. It's on that same level for me where I wake up and I make those choices and we're laughing because it's like, well, duh. There's consequences for that, right? I would go to jail if I ran someone over with my car. There is dare I say, a far greater consequences for me being nasty and full of hate and full of unforgiveness. I'm sacrificing the plan of God for my life. I'm also impairing my ability to ever help another human, right? Why would you listen to me if I'm nasty to you? You wouldn't. I wouldn't listen to you if you were nasty to me either. I'm limiting myself. And even more than that, I'm limiting what God can do through this youth group and through this church and in our area and in the world because of being so selfish and, and acting like love is a feeling or as if love is based on someone's behavior guess what I'm not going to hit you with my car no matter what you do to me it's not based on your behavior you can treat me any kind of way and I'm not going to show up with a gun and shoot you right but people act like well you know they treated me this way so they just signed up for it no that's your choice that is your choice. There are so many things that we avoid doing because we don't want the consequences. It has nothing to do with how you treat me. I just don't do that stuff because it's wrong and I don't want to go to jail. Well, it is no different than with my love walk. I am going to walk in love with you no matter what because guess what? I don't want the consequences and it's not worth it. So no matter what you do to me and how you treat me or how you hurt me, I'm going to walk in love. It's a choice. It's a choice that I make every day. So tonight, I'm going to take kind of a longer passage, and we're going to pick it apart a little bit. Is that okay? I love this. It's in Colossians 3, 12 through 17. So bear with me here. I'm going to read the whole thing. It's a little bit long, but it is a beautiful picture of what we should look like as Christians and as the church. I'm going to take a big drink of water before I read this. I took out my Invisalign for tonight, you guys. That's how you know it's going to get good. No lisps, no dry mouth, just clear communication. So far, there's been a lot of jumbling of the words. It's going to get better, though. Colossians 3, 12 through 17. And remember, I love you. That's why I'm talking to you this way. I needed people in my life to talk to me this way. You are always and dearly loved by God. So robe yourself with virtues of God since you've been divinely chosen to be holy. Be merciful as you endeavor to understand others and be compassionate, showing kindness toward all. Be gentle and humble, 
unoffendable in your patience with others, tolerate the weaknesses of those in your family of faith, hello, forgiving one another in the same way that you've been graciously forgiven by Jesus Christ. If you find fault with someone, <laughs> release this same gift of forgiveness to them. For love is supreme and must flow through each of these virtues. Love becomes the mark of true maturity. Let your heart be always guided by the peace of the anointed one who called you to peace as part of his one body and always be thankful. Let the word of Christ live in you richly, flooding you with all wisdom. Apply the scriptures as you teach and instruct one another with the Psalms and with festive praises and with prophetic songs given to you spontaneously by the spirit. So sing to God with all your hearts. That's not my message tonight, but if you've got a prophetic song, come see me and we'll talk. Let every activity of your lives and every word that comes from your lips be drenched with the beauty of our Lord Jesus Christ, the anointed one. That popped to me. I'm going to read it again. Let every activity of your lives and every word that comes from your lips be drenched with the beauty of our Lord Jesus Christ, the anointed one. And bring your constant praise to God the Father because of what Christ has done for you. Doesn't that sound amazing? That's the kind of Christian I would like to be. That's the kind of body of Christ I would like to see. That's the kind of church I would like to be a part of where every word and every action is drenched with the love and the anointing of Christ. Isn't that amazing? Now this verse said some things that I think people think um, are unattainable. And we're going to look at those things tonight. The first one is be unoffendable. Be unoffendable. Verse 12 says this again. Be merciful as you endeavor to understand others. That's a key. And be compassionate, showing kindness toward all. Be gentle and humble, unoffendable in your patience with others. There are people walking around in life and in church that really don't believe that this is true. They say, well, if somebody says something that offends me, then I'm going to be offended. Right? It's true that we will all have the opportunity to be offended. Probably every one of you in this room could tell me something that might be offensive to me. If you really want to hurt my feelings, you can tell me I smell bad. Because that's one of my greatest fears in life is that I don't ever want to smell bad. So you could potentially offend me by telling me that I smell bad. However, the word of God says be unoffendable. And it tells us how. What are the keys to being unoffendable? having patience and mercy with others as you endeavor to understand them. Anytime that I am involved in clearing up strife within the church, I promise you it is simply a matter of misunderstanding. If people would just seek to understand each other, treat each other with mercy, be unoffendable in patience, as that, that uh, passage said, we would be able to resolve things like that. My dad, when I was growing up, had us read a book uh, by Stephen Covey called The Twelve Habits of Highly Effective People. I probably can name about six or seven of them for you on the spot right now because I haven't read it in a while. But one of those that always stuck with me was this, seek first to understand, then be understood. That is super, like, not human and also very un-American. <laughs> to seek first to be understood, or understand, then to be understood. We always want to share our side of the story instead of asking the other person what's up and what's going on. I want to remind you of this, too. Proverbs 10, 12 says, Hatred stirs old quarrels, but love overlooks insults. And we're going to talk about two different kinds of offense right now for a minute because there is some stuff that is just petty. Like that verse in Proverbs said, love overlooks insults. Yeah. Just get over it. If somebody said something that wasn't that nice to you, let it go. 
let it go. Love overlooks insults. If someone makes a joke at your expense, let it go. Love overlooks insults. And a lot of times we justify our offense by saying, well, they don't know, you know, why that hurt me. They don't know what's really going on. Exactly. They don't know. (laughs) They didn't mean to. They don't know. Let it go. If it was something small and petty, let it go. Love overlooks insults. When you're endeavoring to understand others, I want you to ask two questions. These have helped me so much. The first is, did their action or behavior really have anything to do with me? This is like 90% of the things I could get offended about in life. They actually have nothing to do with me. I have learned that oftentimes I am just the person who caught the attitude from them on them having a really rough day. It didn't matter if I was standing there or Justin was standing there or Amzi was standing there or somebody else was standing there. That person would have been nasty to whoever was in that spot. I work a front desk job at an orthodontist. Sometimes people get mad at me about stuff. Someone yelled in the office the other day. There's not usually a lot of yelling that goes down, but we did have a yeller. I don't get flustered by that because it's not about me. Do you think that woman really cared to yell at me, the front desk lady at the orthodontist? I don't matter in her life. She doesn't even know my first name. That was not about me. For me to leave and say, well, she was so rude to me. She was so mean to me. No, she wasn't. She was rude and she was mean, but it was not to me. She was just cantankerous. Maybe it was the worst day of her life. Maybe she got horrible news yesterday. Maybe something terrible just happened. Maybe she just didn't grow up in a church like we did, hearing the word of God, experiencing the love of Jesus, and is going through life helpless and hopeless. I would be nasty and mean too if that were me, without reason. Just for the sheer fact that I don't have Jesus and I have no hope, I am sure that I would be a person none of you would want to be friends with. It had nothing to do with me. So many times when someone gives us attitude or makes a little snarky remark or we think like, ooh, like, Why did they say that? It has nothing to do with you. They were just maybe having a bad day. Seek to understand them. When I start to get upset or irritated or like have hurt feelings about my something, I'm not kidding. I ask myself that all the time. Was that really about me? 90% of the time, it was not. And that will be your whole life. Listen, your friends will get irritated at you. Your boss will have an attitude with you. Family members might have an attitude. You're just sometimes catching people on a bad day, and that's okay. You know how many people have caught me on a bad day? Probably more than I want to admit. And probably I didn't even realize how rude I was being because I was so self-centered. I was just caught up in my bad day and that thing that I was dealing with that I thought was so hard that I didn't even really realize I was rude to you. Or that I said something insensitive. Or that I was a little bit short and seemed to have a bad attitude and you thought, is she mad at me? No, I'm just having a bad day, right? Does this really have anything to do with you? And literally, like almost every, like I said, church strife situation I have ever helped resolve, it really, those people didn't have an issue with each other. It was just a total misunderstanding. You know what it usually is? Well, I thought they didn't like me. And then the other person said, well, I thought you didn't like me. Seriously? You guys just thought the other one didn't like each other and now it's been two years of y'all not talking to each other and getting people to gang up on each side just because you thought that person didn't like you? Honestly, who even cares? Not everyone has to like me. I have a big personality and I am very loud and there are people who will not be my biggest fan and that's okay. I could also let you know there are some people who maybe I'm not their biggest fan. I can love them, but I might not want to go on vacation with them, and that's fine. I do not need to be everyone's favorite person, and neither do you. So guess what? Even if someone really doesn't like you, that is okay. Jesus loves you, and that's all that matters. Just mind your own biscuits, and life will be gravy. I love that song. 
Pouring salt in my sugar won't make yours any sweeter. Peeing in my yard ain't going to make yours any greener. I don't know about the rocks in your shoes, so I'm going to just do me, and honey, you just do you. In the immortal words of Casey Musgraves, mind your own biscuits and life will be gravy. If someone doesn't like you, it doesn't matter. Chances are, that's probably not even the situation. You probably just caught them on a bad day. But if they don't like you, that is okay. There were actually lots of people who didn't like Jesus. He was the most loving person. He came to bring freedom. He came to give life. There were people who hated him. There were people who said really nasty, false things about him. There were people who were attacking him personally. So this brings us to the second thing. Okay, most things are not personal. So just stop and ask yourself, was this actually personal? Did that have anything to do with me? Most of the time, no. But there will be times when it is personal, right? When maybe somebody does say something really specific about you that's hurtful or somebody was close to you and knows you and hurt you in a way, in, in a way that was personal. Here's what I want you to ask in those situations. Did their action or behavior actually have anything to do with me? Sometimes it is yes. So if so, what is really going on with this person? What's really going on with this person? I have found so much value when someone that I love gives me a sharp answer or is kind of rude or whatever, and just getting with them, you know, to the side if I can and saying like, hey, you seem like you're really tense. Is everything okay? Is there anything I can help you with? Normally that person will dissolve into some kind of display of emotion and say, I'm so sorry, I'm having a really rough day. I'm so sorry my anxiety is really high. I'm so sorry I'm really worried about this or I'm really upset about this. When you simply ask, hey, what is going on with this person? Instead of saying, why did they do that to me? Why would they say that? No, not the right question. What is really going on with them? Because when people are hurting, they will hurt other people. When I look back in my life to the times that I was unkind, to the times that I was a kind of leader that I'm not proud of, um, to the times where I acted in ways that I regretted, what no one knew was that was during the time in my life where I was the most depressed I've ever been. During those times, maybe I was I'd be at a church function and I responded to people the wrong way, which this does not excuse my behavior because that's not what a leader does. But I'm grateful for the people who had compassion on me and helped me grow in my leadership because some of those times I was like on the verge of a panic attack and no one knew it. And I said something rude. I said something sharply. I wasn't kind. I didn't do something in a loving way. I got frustrated over something that wasn't important. But behind the scenes, people didn't know what was going on. Now, that didn't justify my behavior. But I'm grateful for the people who said, hey, you're acting X, Y, Z kind of way. What's going on? Are you okay? Not saying like, hey, why are you being nasty to me? Hey, why'd you say that to me that way? Hey, what's your problem? No, what is going on? And I promise you, if you take the time to ask that person, there's something happening that, again, is not about you. They may have lashed out at you because you're the closest person, or sometimes people lash out at the people uh, that they know aren't going to leave them, right? There are certain people in our lives we can say whatever we want to them generally, and they're still going to be there tomorrow, right? Your parents, maybe your siblings, whatever. Um, but... Just get curious. I got that from Yolanda Owens. Get curious. Don't get offended. Get curious. Hey, what's going on with this person? And when I have stopped to say, hey, are you okay? Like, you just seem kind of tense. Can I help you with something? They have almost always, like I said, just broken down in an emotional response and been struggling with something behind the scenes. So I am so grateful for the people who really took the time to be unoffendable and to say, hey, you're not acting like yourself. What's wrong? They also positioned it this way. This will help you in your communication. 
They said, I love you, and I know that you can be a great leader, so I don't want you to hurt the people you're trying to lead because that's going to damage your leadership ability. I want you to live up to the potential that God has put in you. I want you to walk in your calling, so I'm going to talk to you about this because if you continue to, to lash out at people that way, you're never going to be able to lead them. So what's really going on here, right? It was so valuable to me, the people that took the time to do that in my life and just say, hey, what is going on? What's going on? So when you're endeavoring to understand others, as this verse tells us to be merciful as you endeavor to understand others and be compassionate, showing kindness toward all, be gentle and humble, unoffendable in your patience. And I really believe that we can be unoffendable if we just endeavor to understand others and ask those questions. Does this really have anything to do with me? And if it does, what's really going on with that person and how can I help them? No person that disliked me ever really continued to dislike me when I asked how I could help them. Wow. It clears up those little things just like that. The second point I want to pull out of these verses tonight is from a speaker that I listen to sometimes. His name is A.W. Bach, and he said this, forgive everyone of everything every time. A.W. <laughs> Bach, forgive everyone of everything Every time. Those initials just hit me today. That was fresh. I mean, I was going to give you credit for it anyway, but I was like, A.W. Bach, that's how we should write down all his quotes. They sound way cooler that way. Forgive everyone of everything every time. So out of our passage there in Colossians 3, verse 13 says this. Tolerate the weaknesses of those in the family of faith, forgiving one another in the same way you've been graciously forgiven by Jesus Christ. If you find fault with someone, release the same gift of forgiveness to them. Tolerate the weaknesses of those in this family of faith. I would say the church is known for being intolerant, right? Largely intolerant. When God literally said, hey, tolerate the weaknesses of those in the family of faith. So not just of sinners. It's easy to tolerate that because they don't know better. But Christians get an attitude towards other Christians saying, well, they should know better. Well, they're really not acting like a Christian. Well, you're really not either with those remarks, dear. You're just not. Tolerate the failures and the weaknesses of those in your family of faith. That means the person to the right and to the left and to the front of you and right behind you right now. Tolerate their weaknesses. Tolerate their weaknesses. And forgive one another in the same way you've been graciously forgiven. I want to say this to you tonight. Forgiveness is the price of freedom. Forgiveness is the price of joy. Forgiveness is the price of peace. Forgiveness is the price of self-control. Forgiveness will unlock all of the things in life that you want the most. I am being so serious tonight when I say to you, nothing has made me happier and given me more peace than two things, forgiving everyone of everything and spending time with Jesus every day. There is, I can live without like anything in the world except those two things. Trust me, I have learned in any situation whether I can change it or not, whether it's easy or hard, whether it's frustrating or whatever, I can't control the actions of that other person, but I can 100% undoubtedly every time keep my peace and joy, and it's just through forgiveness. Nothing ruined my life more than sin and unforgiveness. Nothing made me more miserable than staying angry at people and having a bad attitude. I am not kidding. I mean, seriously, when I learned to forgive, oh my gosh, I just, you couldn't talk me out of it. And again, I'm not saying that to brag. This is like self-preservation at this point. I love my life 
too much to lay down my peace just because you decided to be nasty to me today. I don't care. I care about you, but I'm not going to pick up that and let it ruin my life and tear me up. I'm just not. I want peace and joy more than I want anything. And I want to be able to get people saved more than anything. And I can't have any of those things if I'm in unforgiveness. It will ruin your life. Forgiveness is the price of freedom. You can be free, but you're going to have to forgive. It's the price of joy. You can be joyful. You don't have to be depressed, but you will have to forgive. Forgiveness is the price of peace. Here's why. If we think of the fruit of the Spirit, right, or just we could say instead of fruit, the results of the Holy Spirit, right, the outcome of having the Holy Spirit in our lives. What are the first three things it says? It says love, joy, peace. He offers us even more, but like I'm, those, I love all three of those. I'm stuck on those right now. Love, joy, peace. That is all I need. That's all I care about when I go to bed at night. Do I have love, joy, and peace? I'm going to get to patience and kindness and gentleness and self-control. I'm, God will focus me in on those. I know. He's not going to leave those out. But love, joy, and peace is it for me right now. If that's the result of spending time with the Holy Spirit, those are fruits of the Spirit, then when I choose to walk in love, I'm taking on the character of the Holy Spirit. That is powerful. It is powerful to know that no one in the world can hurt me or offend me if I'm just walking in love. If I won't let that go, I can have joy and peace literally no matter what happens. It doesn't matter what anyone does. It doesn't matter if our church disappears tomorrow. It doesn't matter if everyone in my life decides they hate me. It doesn't matter if I get fired. It doesn't matter if all the money in my bank account is gone. I can have peace and joy when I just keep walking in love. It will preserve that in my life. Living a life of love truly brings peace and joy because when we're living with the power and the character of the Holy Spirit, his fruit's going to be present in our life. And we see this in Galatians 6, 1 through 3. says this in the message about forgiveness. Live creatively, friends. If someone falls into sin, forgivingly restore him, saving your critical comments for yourself. You might be needing forgiveness before the day's out. Stoop down and reach out to those who are oppressed. Share their burdens and so complete Christ's law. If you think you're too good for that, you're badly deceived. I love this so much. If someone falls into sin, forgivingly restore him. Not gossip about him. Not call people in the church and say, well, did you hear about this person? Well, did you hear what happened with this person? Well, you know where I saw this person the other day? Well, you know what I saw this person shared on Facebook? Well, you know what I saw this per- like picture they were tagged in? And, you know, I saw that they were doing this. Come on. If someone falls into sin, forgivingly restore them. Lift them up. There's so many people, listen, who are going to feed the homeless and then trash people in the church and talk about people who are sinning. I don't get it. I love to feed the homeless, but it doesn't add up that I'm serving the same God when I'm, I'm kind of talking love to these people because it's like a nice Facebook post and I get tagged in the picture at that outreach event. But then I'm turning around and I'm sending pictures to people being like, did you see this about this person? Sending screenshots. Can you believe she said this to me? Or like, oh, it looks like they're hanging out without me again. Listen, no, 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 no. When someone falls into sin, forgivingly restore him saving your critical comments for yourself how quick are we to open our mouth and just say what we think about other people i am learning to realize that my opinions are so unimportant i almost never need to share them never you guys know this is one of my toxic traits i will tell you a lot about something you did not ask to know 
I will tell you how long it's been since I washed my hair. No one asked me that. I'll tell you about the time that I did something real dumb. No one asked me that. I'll tell you that I'm going to try to run a mini marathon and that I don't because I got injured every time. No one asked. No one said, Morgan, what are you up to? What are your fitness goals this year? How long has it been since you washed your hair? No, I will give people too much information about things they don't care about. I am learning to know my opinions are not important. If something comes up and I don't have something nice to say, I should just zip it, lock it, put it in my pocket. It doesn't matter. Save your criticism for yourself. Think about it this way. God has never once criticized me. Never once. He has never said something to me like, I can't believe you did that. He's also never spoken to me about someone else and said, well, did you hear what Joe did? God doesn't talk to me that way. <laughs> Here's what Joe did. He read the whole Bible in like 14 days. So <laughs> I feel like the angels are like gossiping about him, but in like a good way. Um, he's probably the only middle schooler on the entire planet that has ever done that. Are you still in middle school? Okay, yeah, I thought so. Just checking. So that's probably what people are talking about him for. But I mean, really, God has never once criticized me. Even when he corrects me, he doesn't criticize me. Even when I'm convicted, he doesn't criticize me. Do you know what he has done that has brought huge change in my life? He has loved me and he has encouraged me. He has called me up higher. Do you know what the leaders who have helped me in my life have done? They have loved me and encouraged me. That doesn't mean that they didn't correct me, but they didn't criticize me. Saying things like, well, I can't believe you did that. Well, did you hear about this? Well, why are you doing that? Why is that person like this? Well, I just think they blah, 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 blah. I really think they should blah, 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 blah. Do you know what? I really don't know what you should do other than what the word of God tells us all to do. Because God is talking to me about me, and he's not talking to me about you. So why am I going to stand here and be like, well, I just really think um, that Tillett should have done this because if I was him, I really would blah, 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 blah. And I have to watch myself on that. Trust me. Do you know how quickly I will jump in and say, well, if it were me, blah, 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 blah. it's not me. And no one asked and no one cares. Save your criticism for yourself because criticism doesn't help people grow. Love and encouragement do. Furthermore, when I choose to criticize or accuse people of things, well, I just think they're doing this, and I, I saw them doing this, I am aligning my strategies with that of someone that we call Satan. The Bible calls him the accuser of the brethren. God doesn't accuse me of things. The devil does. So why am I going to stand here and think that it is at all helpful or constructive to accuse somebody of doing something? Well, I think they probably did this. Well, you weren't there, so you don't actually know. You know, I wasn't there, so I really don't know what happened. But I know one thing, I'm going to learn not to accuse people because that's the devil's strategy, and I know where that ends up. God's strategy is to love and to encourage. Even in correction, it is still love, and it is still encouragement. And we can pull from that verse, again in Galatians 6, it says this, if someone falls into sin, forgivingly restore him, saving your critical comments for yourself. You might be needing forgiveness before the day's out. So remember, I have got to realize how often I've needed forgiveness. As humans, we pretty much think we deserve forgiveness like 100% of the time. Because, you know, well, they didn't know. I was just having a bad day. This happened that morning that was huge. I was just really depressed. I was just really anxious, right? I can make excuses for myself all day. I want to be good at making excuses for you. 
I want to believe the best in you and say, you know what, maybe JC was just having a bad day. You know what, maybe something happened in his life that I don't know about. You know what, maybe he didn't read the whole Bible in 14 days. He's casually just reading it in 31, which is also something I've never done. So I don't know where you humans are coming from that are doing this because it's amazing. But, I mean, gosh, can I just start making excuses for other people and saying, well, listen, I don't know what was going on with them, but it was probably something big. I'm not going to worry about it. I need forgiveness all the time, 24-7, every day. And you know what? Y'all don't even know how much I need forgiveness because half of it is just for thoughts I'm thinking. And I just need forgiveness from God, right? You guys don't know what I think every day. I don't know what you think every day. So you can see a lot of things probably that I need forgiveness for, but there's a lot even more that you don't know about that I need forgiveness for. If you really begin to take that into account, how many just thoughts a day you need forgiveness for? My goodness. Let's extend forgiveness to other people. Extend it to others because before the day's over, you might need it for yourself. Proverbs 17.9 says this. Love overlooks the mistakes of others, but dwelling on failures of others devastates friendships. You will devastate relationships in your life that God actually designed for you to have. Those people were called to help you just because you weren't willing to overlook something one day. Love overlooks the mistakes of others, but dwelling on the failures of others devastates friendships. And I want to make it clear I'm not against setting boundaries with people, but even if you set a boundary to where you never see that person again, you never speak to that person again, understand that they are still very much involved in your life and hurting your life if you're in unforgiveness. They are not gone from your life if you are still holding on to offense from them. If you have not forgiven them and let it go, guess what? They're in your life every day, still doing damage to you by your forgiveness, or excuse me, by your decision just to not forgive them. It matters. Set boundaries. If someone is abusive to you or repeatedly, you know, just attacks you, I understand that person doesn't need to be in your life, but that person does need to be forgiven. You have got to let it go. Love overlooks the mistakes of others, and dwelling on failures of others devastates friendships. Something that people struggle with is saying, well, that person, I just can't believe they did that to me, you know? It would have been different if someone that that I wasn't as close to did that, but I can't believe that person did that to me. You have to understand that's really the basis of human relationships. The closer someone is to you, the more they can hurt you. That's just how it works, right? The closer someone is to you, the more they know about you, the more they understand how you work, the more trust that you've invested in that relationship, the more that you have kind of grown with them over the years, They have a bigger opportunity to hurt you. That's okay, and that's life. That's okay, and that's life. Do you guys know who will probably hurt you the most in life? (laughs) The person you marry, right? The person that is supposed to be your one true love, closer to you than anyone else in the world. They can hurt you the most because, yes, they are closer to you than anyone else in the world. But does that mean you go to the divorce court the next day? No. It means you stop and say, okay, I'm going to give them grace because they're having a bad day and you know who can be the most hurtful to them? Me, on my bad days. It is the very same in friendships and in family relationships. Yes, people who are close to you can hurt you the most and they probably will at some point and that's okay. You will also probably hurt them. That's okay. Do not throw away a relationship that God brought into your life just because that person hurt you. You can pray about it, and I'm not saying you have to be best friends with that person because, like I said, there are some people who their behavior um, is such that they don't need to be close to you, and I understand that. But love 
overlooks those wrongs and don't devastate a relationship with unforgiveness just because you can't get past, I can't believe they did that. You know what? They might do it again. We all make mistakes. People hurt my feelings in the past. People have treated me wrong, you know, now. And people are going to treat me wrong in the future. It's fine. They're just human just like me. I've made mistakes. I've treated people wrong. And I am sure that I will do it again. But we can choose to overlook those things by choosing to walk in love because it's not a feeling. It's not an emotion, and it's not based on what you did to me. It's just my choice to say, I am going to walk in love with you. And there are people that I used to not be my favorite. And when I finally, at the end of the day, said, you know what? I can't change them, so I'm just going to take them at face value. They are what they are, and I'm going to 100% accept them for that. I, like, love those people now. They don't even irritate me now. It was literally just my bad attitude. I thought, like, well, their personality is just not my favorite. No, I just had a bad attitude. And literally, as soon as I quit trying to act like that person needed to be more like me, I was totally fine with them. It was just my stinking attitude. I changed it in just a moment. And I thought I was doing it for myself. Like, oh, let me be loving. Let me just, like, take them at face value. None of us are perfect. But it really just illuminated my own immaturity of saying, like, well, I don't like them because, you know, blah, blah. Golly, <laughs> so not worth it. So I'm not telling you that you have to have everybody in your life and be super close with them and, and allow people in your life who are going to hurt you. But I am saying you do need to forgive them if you don't want that destruction to continue. So I was number two, forgive everyone of everything every time. And number three, be an encourager of those around you, not a critic of those around you. We touched on this a little, but we're going to go a little deeper. Verses 13 and 14 in our core passage say this. Tolerate the weaknesses of those in the family of faith, forgiving one another in the same way you've been graciously forgiven. If you find fault with someone, release the same gift of forgiveness to them. For love is supreme, and it must flow through each of these virtues. Listen to this. Love becomes the mark of true maturity. Tolerate the weaknesses of those in the family of faith, because love becomes the mark of true maturity maturity again this verse says that we're to tolerate others weaknesses not gossip about them no one is more turned off by a church than a person who walks in and finds out it's a bunch of people gossiping about each other it is high school all over again you know why everyone hates high school because people act ridiculously with no manners right you all know that why are people walking into the church having the same experience it should never be said of a place where the presence of God dwells. And I'm going to challenge that to say if it is a place where people are doing that, God's presence may not be there very much. He can't move among nasty people. He can't move among strife. I can stand here and I can pray a great prayer and I can take the microphone on Sundays and say, God, oh, thank you for your presence, blah, blah, blah. And if I was nasty to people and if I gossiped about somebody last night, it doesn't matter. You know what's probably not going to happen? People getting saved and people finding freedom and people getting delivered. God is gracious and he will move to the level that he can, but I will hinder him with my nasty gossip when I'm refusing to tolerate the weaknesses of those around me. And the bottom line is that I'm choosing to be immature. Love is the mark of true maturity. I was thinking about this. The people that I look up to most in church are so loving. Like, think about this. The people that I know that pray the most, for instance, Jim Ziegler, wonderful person of prayer. Also, like, compassion drips out of his eyeballs all the time. I mean, he is the most loving, compassionate person. And it's interesting to me that sometimes people are posting all these Bible verses or, like, being loud about their prayer, and then they're so nasty. Those things don't add up. The people that I know that are real people of prayer, really matured, really strong Christians, are so 
loving, right? They're so loving. You can hear that from Pastor Nancy when she talks. She just Oh, just drips with compassion. Same when we had Keith Moore here. What a compassionate, kind man. I mean, my goodness. People like Miss Lois, how kind is she? How graceful and beautiful is she? These are also, it's, it's not a coincidence that there are people who are committed to prayer and committed to the word of God because those things have made them mature. And I know that because of their ability to walk in love. Love is the mark of maturity for a Christian. And listen to this. When you sit around and you criticize other people, you're revealing a lot more about yourself than you are about them. You think that you're talking about someone else, but you are really telling everyone about yourself. That I don't spend enough time with God, and I am an immature Christian because I can't control my tongue and walk in love. If you tell me something bad about Anzi, I'm not going to think less about Anzi. I'm going to think less about you. That said so much more about you than it did about him. And I just can't tolerate it anymore. I'm so tired of just people talking bad about other people. What's the point? What is the point of doing that? When you're sitting around criticizing, you're just putting your immaturity on display. And trust me, I've been there. I know I'm making some strong statements tonight, but it's because I don't want you guys to miss out on what's available to you. Most of this just strife and pettiness is a distraction. That is all that it is. It is a distraction from what you're called to do and what this church is called to do. Because if the devil can keep us at this immature level of just talking bad about each other, our church will go nowhere. Our lives will go nowhere. We will do nothing of importance. It is just a distraction from what's really important. Again, I hear people sometimes say, that's not very Christian of them. But we can see from this verse saying, hey, love becomes the mark of true maturity in a believer. <laughs> so when I'm saying nasty things, that's not very Christian of me. Right. I mean, just how many times could people have said nasty things about me and they would have been 100% true? <laughs> like they had every right to say that and they still did it. People still treated me with kindness and love and patience and compassion because they cared about the call of God on my life. They were able to look past my shortcomings to encourage me and spur me towards what I was called to do. That's what I want to do for the people that I come in contact with. It is not my job to find sin in other people's lives. It's not. It is not my job to look at you and see where you don't line up with the word of God. It's not my job to look at you and figure out where you're missing it and all the ways that you're sinning. It is my job to look at my life and find all the ways that I'm sinning. <laughs> that critical nature is very human, but we've got to learn to turn that inwards, not in a way that we're down on ourselves or self-hatred or anything like that, but saying like, hey, instead of looking for the sin in other people's lives, I'm instead looking for the sin in mine. Because that's what's really hurting me. Frankly, your sin is not impacting my life near as much as my sin is. My sin is the thing that's holding me back. My sin is damaging my life. So it's way more productive for me to search those things out in my heart and deal with them. And I want to read this out of Matthew 7. It says, refuse to be a critic full of bias towards others, and you will not be judged. For you'll be judged by the same standard that you've used to judge others. The measurement you use on them will be used on you. Why would you focus on the flaw in someone else's life and fail to notice the glaring flaws of your own? How embarrassing. How could you say to your friend, let me show you where you're wrong when you're guilty of even more? You're being hypercritical and a hypocrite. First acknowledge and deal with your own blind spots, and then you'll be capable of dealing with the blind spot of your friend. It is not my job to point out other people's shortcomings. It's just not. And Christians are great at this. They say, well, you know, you know, this person kind of drinks. 
Okay, well, you kind of gossip. <laughs> Let's all deal with our sin here, you know. Well, this person, you know they do this. Have you heard this? Do you know the person they're dating? Would you like me to hand you a list of everything I've done wrong? I don't want to give that list out, so I'm not going to stand here and give your list out either. How could you say to your friend, let me show you where you're wrong when you're guilty of even more? Let's turn our eyes on ourselves. I want to get sin out of my life. That's the way that I'm able to help others. Me choosing to live a life of love and to walk in a way that's holy is, is a way that I'm able to help you. I can help you so much more by dealing with my own sin than trying to point out yours. No one likes to have their dirty laundry put out, right? You think I'm going to like get you saved by telling you everything wrong that you're doing? I'm not, right? It's not our job to point out the sins of others, but our job rather is to get people in church because then the Holy Spirit can speak to them and he'll deal with them about what they need to change. How grateful I am that God deals with me in private, not in public. How grateful I am that I can show up on a Sunday morning and get convicted of something and change it instead of have somebody else have to point it out to me and make me embarrassed. God is so gracious in the way that he deals with us. It's not our job to point out other people's sin. It is just our job to get them in an environment where he can speak to them. Because as I said earlier, he doesn't criticize. He speaks so lovingly. Even when he's telling me what I need to change, it is somehow encouraging. I don't know how he does it. He is so kind with me and so gracious in the way that he deals with my shortcomings. I don't want to deal with other people's shortcomings. I want to let God do that. If I deal with other people and their sin, I'm liable to damage that relationship forever and make them never want to return to this church. But if I make this church an environment where people can come and feel welcome and encounter the presence of God, I know that he'll speak to their heart about the things in their life that are hurting them just like he did to me. That's the way that he works. We don't have to fix other people. We don't have to tell them where they're wrong. We just get them in a church so that God can minister to them in the loving way that he does. That's our job is to bring them into church. God will draw them to repentance, not my criticism. When I criticize others, I am not reflecting the way God deals with me, right? That is so unfair to deal with people in a way that's different than how God has dealt with me. Because if there's anyone in the world who deserves to be harsh toward me, it is God, right? I haven't sinned against you guys near as much as I've sinned against him, <laughs> to be frank, right? I've never mistreated anyone as badly as I've mistreated him. So for me to assume that I can treat other people differently than the way he treats me is just so selfish and so wrong. God brings growth in my life through love and encouragement. And the last thing I just want to touch on before I close tonight, I appreciate your patience, but think about it this way. The Bible says that we are all the body of Christ. We forget sometimes that we're all connected. So when I go to hurt someone else, I'm hurting my own body, right? I would never shoot myself in the foot, right? I would never break my own leg. I would never cut off my own hand or something crazy like that. Why on earth would I attempt to devastate or to hurt somebody else that's in the very same body as me? We're part of the same body. So if I am hurting you, it's really going to come back and it's going to hurt me. And it's going to hurt those around me because we're all in the same body. We need each other. That person in the church that you don't like, you need them. Our church needs them. That person that hurt you, you need them, and our church needs them. We're part of the body of Christ. And again, you can be discerning on what level of access they have to you and what place they hold in your life. That's fair, but you have to make sure that you're forgiving. You have got to let it go. It's not only hurting you, we're all connected. So at this point, it is going to damage what our church can do if I'm angry at the person that's across the room. We're part of the same body. 
we're part of the body of Christ. If I have an attitude towards four people in this room, I might think that I'm hiding it, but there are things um, that are done spiritually, not to make like, to get spooky spiritual with it, but when we are not unified, the Holy Spirit can't move the way that he wants to. So even if I never say anything, even if I never do anything, even if no one on the planet knows I have an issue with that person, if I have it in my heart, it's affecting the spiritual atmosphere of this church and what we're able to do when we're here. We're going to limit God and his ability to move just because we want to hold on to that stuff. Let it go. There is so much freedom on the other side of this. So before I close, I'll tell a really quick story. I've told it before. But the way that I learned to forgive is there was a really big situation in my life that really uh, was damaging to me. And I had a big part in it. So I, I wasn't innocent. But, you know, at, at the time in my mind, I just thought this other person really hurt me. So I was in unforgiveness for a long time. And when I finally decided to forgive them, I've told you all this before, it literally took me six months. And it was a choice of me waking up every day, feeling angry at that person, and getting in my car and driving to work and out loud saying, Father, I forgive them. I love them because you love them. I love them. I thank you for the call of God on their life. I'm going to pray for them right now. And I literally had to do that for six months. I made that decision every day. <laughs> and when I woke up the next day, I had to make it again. And when I woke up the next day, I had to make it again. And when I woke up the next day, I had to make it again. Literally six months, I had to do that. It took forever. It seemed so huge to me. But, man, once I finally let that go, I, it's like I've been on cloud nine ever since. And what I mean by that is it is just so amazing to go through life knowing that nobody can hurt me. And I'm not perfect. But I'm so grateful for the way the Holy Spirit has helped me grow in this area because it is literally, it, uh, it just would be so hard to get me in unforgiveness. I'm not going to say somebody couldn't do it because I don't want to be arrogant. But through that situation, God taught me, hey, you can choose to let it go. And you will have so much joy and peace and freedom on the other side. Since that situation, it's been easy for me to forgive everything. So it is not always easy, but once you begin to do it, it will become easy. You might have to do it on some situations that are really big. And it might take you a while, and that's okay. It took me six months. But now, my gosh, you just couldn't talk me into it. And it doesn't mean that my feelings aren't ever hurt or that I don't ever start to feel angry. But I am much better. Uh, recently at work, something kind of, like, irritated me. It was just the way someone spoke to me. And I sat there and, like, stewed on it for, like, five minutes. And then all of a sudden, I was like, whoa, I'm getting angry at that person. You know, my, th I was, my thoughts were just kind of going, and I was just not even realizing it. And it wasn't Madeline. You guys know I work with her, so I, I should clarify that. It was not Madeline. And I just had to stop and be like, whoa, I'm getting angry with that person. And I just literally at my desk, me and God dealt with it. So, Father, I forgive them. I'm not going to pick that up. I let it go. Boom, those feelings left instantly. Once you begin to do it, it will become so easy. And once you have tasted joy and freedom and peace, you won't want to go back to that. So I understand that it can feel hard, but it is so worth it. It is so worth it to do that work of forgiveness. It is so worth it to let it go, not only for your own peace of mind, but I'm committed to what this church is called to do, and I don't want anything in my life to stand in the way of what God is trying to do here. I take it very seriously. It is so much more important for me to see people saved on Sunday morning than for me to feel like I wasn't treated right in a situation. You know, again, it's a distraction. There is something so much larger at stake. We're here for something so much bigger and so just amazing. 
amazing, right? We hear all this stuff about, oh, there's great revivals and great revivals. And I'm just tired of, of only hearing about it. I just want to see it. <laughs> so I'm turning into my own self saying, God, what is in my heart that needs to get out? What are the ways that I am in the way of you moving? Like, what are the ways that I'm holding you back? Where do I need to respond differently? And so in closing here, I'll read that Colossians passage again, but I'm going to read it out of the message. It says this. So, chosen by God for this new life of love, dress in the wardrobe God picked out for you. Compassion, kindness, humility, quiet strength, and discipline. Be even-tempered, content with second place. Lordy, that took me forever to learn. <laughs> Be content with second place. Quick to forgive an offense. Forgive as quickly and completely as the master forgave you. And regardless of what else you put on, wear love. It's your basic all-purpose garment. Never be without it. And let the peace of Christ keep you in tune with each other and in step with each other. So as we close tonight, we do have something fun we're going to do next. But I just want to go ahead and pray with you guys for a second. And I'm going to lead us in a prayer of forgiveness. If there's a situation that's been bugging you, I'm not saying that you didn't have a right to be upset. I understand people have just had sometimes horrific things happen in their life. So I am not making light of whatever situation, you know, maybe that you're struggling with. But I do want to see you be free. And I do want to see you walk in your calling. And I don't want that situation to continue to affect you. So just check your own heart tonight. And I'm going to pray. Pray with us. And you can pray this in your heart as well if you need to deal with something. Father, we come before you now just with open hearts, thanking you for your forgiveness. Father, you've been so kind toward us, so patient toward us. Father, you don't keep record of our wrongs. You don't hold things over our heads, but rather you cover us in love, Father, and you respond to us in encouragement and in kindness. So, Father, right now, we just take a moment to say we forgive everyone of everything, Father, whatever has maybe been stuck on our on our minds and in our hearts, we let that go right now, Father. We receive your freedom. In Jesus' name, we thank you that because you have loved us and forgiven us, we can love others and forgive others in every situation, Father. And I speak your healing over every hurt that maybe is on people's heart and mind right now, Father. We thank you that you restore our souls. That means you can fix our mind and our will and emotions so that no matter what's been done to us, Father, we can be completely restored as though it never happened, Father. Those hurts can be healed, that damage can be undone, and you're a God that restores us and brings us back into a right place with you, exactly the way we were created to be. So we just receive that from you tonight, Father. I'm so grateful for the opportunity to know the people in this room and to love the people in this room. I'm committed to them, Father, and I'm committed to their success. I'm committed to see them do what you've called them to do. So I thank you, Father, just for the gracious opportunity I have to be in their lives. And we receive tonight your love and your forgiveness toward us for everything. In Jesus' name, amen. Do you all believe that tonight? I love you guys. I believe in you guys so much. Thanks for listening to this message. To learn more about what's happening at The Quarry, check us out on social media.